Well, turnovers remain a key issue for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. And frankly, unless they get those under control, it could be another disappointing season for Mark Few's squad. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates through another season of Gonzaga basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Upside. Download the free Upside app and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 and up. All right, it is a delayed Mailbag Monday episode today, Mailbag Tuesday as I'm calling it. I wanted to get all of my thoughts and reactions to Gonzaga's big old butt whooping against Kentucky out on Monday, so decided to push Mailbag another day. You all showed up in an incredible way, tons of great questions to answer on today's show. If you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday and don't know how to do so, you can follow me on Twitter at AndyPattonCBB. I post a tweet soliciting questions. You can respond to that and get your answer in the show. You can also email me, AndyPatton013 at gmail.com as a great way to get your questions answered as well. All right, we're going to get right into it because like I said, tons of great questions today. This first one comes from at Havila Benjamin on Twitter who says, the Zag shot and rebounded well against Kentucky, which gave them the win. However, the assist to turnover ratio is 8 to 18. What do you think they need to do to clean up the turnovers and get the passing machine humming? Havila Benjamin, not the only person with this question, John via Gmail, asked, what is Gonzaga going to do to improve in the turnover department? The Zags just seem to turn the ball over way too much. Thoughts? Well, this is going to be one of the themes of the episode that I'm going to say in response to a lot of questions today, and I think it's worth continuing to emphasize and repeat. Most seasons when Gonzaga has played four games, they have not played this caliber of opponent or even close to this caliber of opponent. They played North Florida, which was a game that went as you would expect it it to go. They played Michigan State on an aircraft carrier in a game that I'm not saying you can't glean any information from that game, but it's really hard to take turnover issues and outside shooting issues, particularly seriously considering the circumstance. Texas in a true road environment. Yeah, they got their bell rung pretty bad in that game, but that's a really good team, a top five team on a true road game. Most of the time, Gonzaga hasn't played those caliber's opponents earlier in the season. And then, of course, number four ranked Kentucky. They have fallen in the ranking since then, but still a really high quality opponent. So I think that trying to glean too much information from early in the season, especially when you try to compare it to other seasons, is, is difficult because Gonzaga hasn't played this kind of schedule ever. Like they had a good schedule in 2021, the, the Jalen Suggs freshman season, and they did a lot better in the early part of that season because that was one of the best, if not the best, Gonzaga basketball team of all time. Yes, Gonzaga has turnover issues. And yes, just because they've played good teams doesn't mean that the turnover issues are magically going to disappear. They're going to be cleaned up in different games against teams like Kent State and Montana and, and those caliber of opponents. But Gonzaga does need to do some different things, whether it's some of the adjustments we've seen them make, which is having different players bring the ball up the court. I don't think Drew Team and Anton Watson are going to be playing point guard all that often this season, but Hunter Salas might. Hunter Salas might be the guy who just gets the ball up the court and gets it into another guard's hands like Julian Strother or Rasir Bolton, and they just start running a, a motion ball screen heavy action. 
that could be the uh, the situation, the result here. I think they're just going to work really hard with Nolan Hickman on, on kind of cleaning things up. He played with an injured ankle against Kentucky and was not Gonzaga's primary issue from a turnover perspective. So I think we are, are already starting to see him take some of those steps. And that kind of leads into the next question here from at user DadRisk on Twitter, who says, is Hickman making a leap or not the single most important storyline to watch for this team before March? I had to think about this for a while because player-specific – Storyline, I would say yes. Nolan Hickman's development is the most important player-specific storyline for the rest of the season. How Julian Strother adapts to being a small ball four is important. Malachi Smith and Efton Reed, what they give them as transfers, which we haven't seen a lot of yet, that's an important storyline. Rasir Bolton being the player he was against Kentucky as opposed to the player he was against Texas is an important storyline. Hunter Salas, like there's a lot of very big storylines. That's why it's so fun to cover a team like this on a day-to-day basis. But Nolan Hickman's development is the most important amongst players. I think the team's most important development is rim protection slash just overall defensive communication. It was much, much better against Kentucky than it was against Texas and frankly than it was against Michigan State as well. Uh, But for the Zags, they need to be consistent in that regard. They need to be able to keep good, talented guards in front of them on the perimeter because they don't have a player like Chet Holmgren to erase those shots on the back end. And I think you could argue that their defensive communication as an overall storyline is more impactful than Nolan Hickman's individual development. But no single player's difference between who they are now and who they are in March is going to be more impactful than Hickman's. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, will the Zags go with different players bringing the ball up the floor? As you mentioned in the Kentucky recap show on one possession, Timmy basically took it from baseline to post. On a couple other occasions, Anton Watson brought the ball up the floor, which in my mind helped him be more actively involved. Anton was all over the floor, providing amazing energy and contributions on both ends. If you want me to read your whole question, definitely end it with a compliment to Anton Watson because I will include that every single time. Uh, I don't think that Drew Timmy bringing the ball up the court is going to be a regular thing. I think, again, it goes back to kind of the overarching theme of the episode of Gonzaga playing really tough games early in the year and making some adjustments on the fly. Hat trip to Mark Few for making that adjustment. I don't think he told Drew Timmy, hey, if you get a rebound, just go. This may have been more of a decision that Timmy made, but some of the decisions to take the ball out of Hickman's hands when he was struggling and have Hunter Salas bring the ball up. And against Michigan State, we saw them effectively abandon their offense and just figure out how to get Drew Timmy the ball. Those in-game adjustments are things that, In years past, I'm not sure Mark Few would have made those adjustments. The fact that he did, the fact that they worked in the sense that Gonzaga, for how they have played this season, especially in the turnover department, to be 3-1 and against the caliber of opponent that they have played, pretty darn impressive. And I think that Mark Few deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think as the as the schedule starts to normalize a little bit, not yet, they still got they still got a lot of really tough games left in the next couple of weeks. But as it starts to normalize after that, as we get into league play, stuff like Anton and Drew Timmy bringing the ball up the court, we're not going to see that anymore. I think it'll look much more like the normal Gonzaga high paced offense. Hickman will start to settle in and, and things will kind of revert back to normal. But a really tough start to the season and some guys being a little banged up and not in, in slightly unfamiliar roles has created a situation where the Zags are doing things a little different right now. And, and again, Kudos for it being something that has worked for him up to this point. Final question of the first segment here comes from Larry via Gmail. Larry says, could the Timmy turnovers be a result of him trying to do too much? When he's double or triple teamed, he seems to still try to spin and get space when he should be kicking out to Strother or Bolton for a three. Uh, Timmy turns the ball over a lot because he has the ball every single freaking possession. It is not much more complicated than that. The player with the ball in his hands more than any other player on the team is more likely to turn the basketball over. 
I don't think Drew Timmy has massively concerning turnover issues. I think when you have a player with as high usage of a rate as Drew Timmy has, you're just going to, ha- that's kind of just part of the deal. To be frank, that's part of what it is. Drew Timmy doesn't have these abhorrently ugly turnovers. Uh, He occasionally has bad ones, but again, he has the ball every dang possession. So, of course, that's going to happen. Does Drew occasionally become a bit of a black hole? Kind of, but he's much better about that than many other players. Philip Petrusev was worse about this. Many other former Zags weren't as good. Uh, And Gonzaga fans have also been spoiled by players like Shemit Karnowski and Devonta Simonis, who are incredible passing big men. Uh, Drew Timmy is a good passing big man. He still has some work to do in that area. Area. Uh, he early in the season, I think we've seen him develop some of those skills already. That over the shoulder pass to Hunter Salas in the Kentucky game was an incredible read from Drew Timmy, and he did that 18, 19 feet away from the basket. So I think he's, his skills in that regard are already there. Uh, I think the fact that Gonzaga has had to rely on him basically every single offensive possession has created a situation where he's turned the ball over a little bit more. But on the list of things that I'm concerned about for Gonzaga going forward, Drew Timmy's turnovers is frankly pretty low. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen. If it gets worse or if it continues to happen against lower quality opponents, maybe we can check back in on that, but it's just not an issue that is overly concerning to me at this point. All right, we've got more listeners submitted questions coming your way, including thoughts on Dominic Harris and Gonzaga's very tight rotation to begin the season. But first, today's episode of Locked on Zags is brought to you by Upside. From cringing at the pump to getting an eye-popping check at your favorite restaurant, inflation is hitting us all where it hurts, and it really hurts. That's why I started using Upside. Upside is an incredible app for anyone who buys gas, groceries, or dines out. With every purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. The app is super easy to use, and there's no catch. To get started, download the free Upside app. Use my promo code LOCKED and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 and up. Next, claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside and check in at the business, pay as usual with a credit or debit card, and you get paid. In comparison to credit card rewards or loyalty programs, you can earn three times more cash back with Upside. Upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. Download the free Upside app now and use promo code LOCKED to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 and up. That's promo code LOCKED for $5 back on your first purchase of $10 or more. All right, segment two, still any patents, still Locked On Zags. want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen today, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast. From the games that matter the most to the biggest stories in sports, go beyond the scoreboard and behind the scenes with local experts and insights that only Locked On can provide. Locked On Sports Today, available on this app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. Are you getting right back into it with more great questions submitted by listeners? This one comes from at Twitter user DadRisk. He says, can you remember to remind everyone about possible nine-man rotations in the future years to just stop? Look, as a daily Gonzaga content creator, I create content every single day, even in the offseason, so I need stuff to talk about. And quite frankly, speculating on Gonzaga's rotations is always a fun, uh, albeit sometimes fruitless endeavor in the offseason, because as much as we like to look at the roster and think there's no way Mark Fee will play less than eight or nine or ten guys, he does. He does, he does, he does. And, and again, I've mentioned this a couple of times being kind of the theme of the episode, and I'll, I'll reiterate it here. We're four games into the season, and most of the time Gonzaga hasn't played three opponents like they did against Michigan State, who's a top 16 team, I believe, is where they finish in the AP poll. Texas is a top five team. Kentucky is still a top 10 or 15 team. So 
that's unusual. And of course, Gonzaga is going to tighten the rotation in that situation. Dominic Harris has been battling an injury. That is an important detail to make. He, it sounds like he's a, about or maybe fully healthy, but still kind of getting his his game legs underneath him, his conditioning going forward. I'm not exactly sure the situation there. I'm not sure how much he'd be playing where he deemed 100% ready and never suffered an injury. But uh, I'm not surprised that Gonzaga's rotation is really tight right now. Efton Reed hasn't looked great. We'll talk more about him in, in a moment. Uh, Malachi Smith hasn't looked great either. Uh, Hunter Salas has played well and he has earned more minutes and he has gotten more minutes in part because of that. But it's not shocking to me that Gonzaga's rotation right now is really tight. I think it'll loosen up. Uh, as we get into conference play, as we get into some of Gonzaga's less uh, talented opponents coming fo- coming up. But for right now, it's really tight. And when you look at the opponents they've played so far, it's, it's not that surprising. Next question comes from Larry via Gmail. Larry says, you think we'll see more of that version of Rasir Bolton? He seemed to be a non-factor in previous games, Michigan State and Texas, almost tentative offensively. Well, we have four years of evidence showing Rasir Bolton being a really good, dynamic, attacking three level scoring offensive player. And we have two games showing him not being a particularly uh, efficient or high scoring offensive player. So I'm inclined to believe that the years and years of evidence of Rasir Bolton being a high caliber scorer in the big 12, uh, being one of Gonzaga's best players last year, being a potential preseason, like all WCC caliber player. I'm not worried about his performance against Michigan state in particular, his, his skills as a basketball player in terms of getting out in transition and shooting threes were both incredibly neutralized in that game, partly due to Michigan state's ability to stop Gonzaga in transition. So they deserve some credit there, partly due to the just conditions of the court. So Bolton not being a a big factor in that Michigan state game is almost entirely irrelevant to me. Maybe not 100% irrelevant, but it's not particularly concerning at all. Texas was a really rough game for everybody on Gonzaga's roster. And yeah, Rasir Bolton didn't play well in that game. And there's more, I guess, blame in that situation there. But then he comes out, drops 24 points against Kentucky, leads the Zags. I'm not even remotely worried about Rasir Bolton the rest of the season. Next question comes from at Anthony Azanar on Twitter, who says, do you think Dom will transfer? As a rule, I don't make speculation about players transferring in the middle of the season. I think it's kind of in bad form, uh, and I have no idea what Dominic Harris and his family or friends are thinking. I don't. Uh, I don't really – there's so many factors that could or could not be at play here that it's just not really something that I like to speculate on. Is Dom playing less than he thought he would? Probably. Worth pointing out that Dom also – was didn't play in craziness in the kennel because he was still recovering from an injury. He was not cleared for full contact. That was less than six weeks ago. And they, they mentioned that, Hey, he's going to come along pretty slow. It's going to take some time for him to get back into game shape. I'm not shocked. We haven't seen him play all that much. If as the season goes on and Gonzaga starts playing less quality opponents and the rotation opens up a little bit, if Dom still doesn't see the floor all that much or doesn't play particularly well in those moments, then yeah, I think that it's a a conversation that will probably start to permeate a little bit more around the Gonzaga fan base. Is is he going to be back next year? What's the situation there? But again, I don't know any other situations about his life personally, uh, about his friends, his family, all of that. And so I just, I think that transferring is such an intensely personal decision to make that just looking at a player who's not playing all that much and thinking, oh, they're going to transfer. It's a much more complicated issue than that. So I don't know, and I don't really like to speculate on if there is an announcement about it or something like that that's worthy of actually reporting on. We'll we'll discuss it at that point. Next question comes from John via Gmail. John says, Gonzaga has been very successful with transfers in recent years, but both Reed and Smith seem as if they are struggling to acclimate themselves to their system. What are your thoughts? 
Guess what, guys? We're sticking with the theme. We're sticking with the theme of today's episode. I can't remember any transfers who came to Gonzaga and immediately had to play Texas on the road, Michigan State on an aircraft carrier, and Kentucky at the Spokane Arena. It is a ridiculous stretch of games for these guys, and these are not transfers like Brandon Clark. These are not transfers like Kyle Wilcher, who are expected to come in and immediately be the best player on Gonzaga's team. Neither of these guys were billed as that. Neither of these guys are expected to be that. Gonzaga has and remains very successful in the transfer portal. This year's go-around was more about finding complementary slash developmental pieces. Smith is a complementary piece. Reed is a developmental piece. Both those guys look like that at this point in the season. Malachi Smith has not played a lot of Power 5 teams in his career. He started his career at Gonzaga playing three of the very best, three of the very best early in his career. I don't think Malachi Smith is going to be a 15-point-per-game, 45% three-point shooter the way Rasir Bolton was when he came over to Gonzaga. But I think Malachi Smith is going to settle into being a very, very good role player for the Zags. We haven't seen a ton of that yet because, frankly, when Gonzaga plays really good teams, oftentimes the rotation gets squeezed, as we've talked about, and you only see five or six guys. They just happen to play a bunch of really good teams very early in the year. As the season goes on, when Gonzaga's playing their regular WCC slate in January and February, Malachi Smith, in my projection, will probably settle in as a guy who comes off the bench, gives you 15, 18, 20 minutes per game, seven or eight, maybe 10 points, uh, and just does a little bit of everything well. We just haven't seen him be that guy yet because these games haven't really lent themselves to that situation. Uh, Afton Reed is just a developmental piece. He's just not ready to be a big-time contributor yet. I think he will also contribute significantly more as Gonzaga gets in the WCC season. But again, every transfer that I can think of that came to Gonzaga, their first four games they didn't have a schedule like this. So I think we have to kind of preach patience with the transfers, with the new guys who are adjusting to new roles like Hickman and Salas uh, and kind of just wait until the season sort of evens out a little bit and we'll, we'll get a better sense of what kind of contributors those guys are. Next question comes from Larry via Gmail. Again, I think his third of the show. Larry says, why is Malachi Smith not getting more time? When he's on the court, he seems like a better all-around player than Hickman, more confident, bigger, stronger, can go to the basket, has a three-point reputation. Looks like he could handle more aggressive opponent guards too. I'm not sure where you are seeing all this with Malachi Smith, to be perfectly honest. I love Malachi Smith. I was a champion of him when he came over to the program. And as I just said in the previous answer, I think that he is going to be a nice role player for this team going forward. But he doesn't look like a better player than Nolan Hickman to me. I haven't seen that in the season. I know that Hickman has gotten a lot of hate this year and a lot of frustration from the fan base. Um, Nolan Hickman has been better than Malachi Smith. Malachi Smith is a little bit bigger. Confidence, I don't know how you can see that watching a basketball game, so I don't know that I buy that necessarily. Uh, Nolan Hickman can go to the rim. Uh, this, it, Malachi Smith and Nolan Hickman both have that ability. Uh, the three-point shooting, yeah, Smith was a better three-point shooter previously in his college career, but I'm not sure that Smith is a guaranteed knockdown better three-point shooter than Nolan Hickman is right now. Uh, looks like he could handle more aggressive guards too. I haven't seen that from Malachi Smith at all. If that's just a size thing, I suppose I could understand that argument, but I haven't seen any proof that Malachi Smith is better equipped to handle good opposing guards than Nolan Hickman. In fact, I think it's the opposite. I think Nolan Hickman is more capable of doing that. Um, this this team ceiling is higher with Nolan Hickman being the best version of himself than Malachi Smith, quite frankly. So Smith, 
Should in a perfect world, Smith plays more of a complimentary role. Hickman takes over as a starting point guard role. If Malachi Smith has to play more of a, a point guard role, or if Nolan Hickman doesn't take over that role, I don't think Gonzaga is as good. So clearly for me, the Zags finding a way to make Hickman the best player that he can be. Let, let Smith adapt to that kind of role player role, I think is a better version of this team. And that's what Mark few and the staff are hoping to kind of get out of this group of guys going into next season. All right, folks, we're going to discuss Gonzaga's schedule, path to the national championship, and a really nice weekend from the Ladies' Ags in Bahamas. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. College basketball and the NBA are back in action, and college football and the NFL remain in the thick of their seasons. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all the latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all of the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. They even have lines for coaching changes across every major sport, so even in the offseason, you can get your fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, segment three. Tony Patton still locked on Zag, still hammering through a bunch of excellent listener submitted questions for Mailbag Tuesday, a day late this week. This next question comes from at user Jackson27 on Twitter, who says, Your ideal six team path for Gonzaga to win the national championship. What teams in those games? Would you want to play? Yeah, I had to think about this one for a while because I was trying to pick realistic teams at each spot that Gonzaga could, in theory, run into. I didn't pick any WCC teams because they tend to avoid matching them up in early uh, conference or in in early NCAA tournament potential matchups. Uh, So I picked teams that I think might be realistic, uh, and I think it would be a fun kind of redemption tour for the Zags. First up, this is operating in the assumption that Gonzaga is a one or a two or a three seed. Their first game would be against Long Beach State. Uh, I think if Gonzaga does win a national championship and the path starts with Mark Few defeating Dan Monson, the coach that started the whole thing in Spokane, I think that's kind of poetic and kind of beautiful in a way. I think Long Beach State is one of the few teams that has some kind of significance to Gonzaga that they could realistically play in a first round matchup. I could totally see Long Beach finishing third, fourth, fifth in the Big West, going on a nice run in the Big West tournament, winning it all and getting a 15 or a 16 seed because they're not a very good team, but they won the Big West tournament. And so they get a chance to get an auto bid. Uh, Next up round of 32, I picked Xavier. Gonzaga has beat Xavier in the NCAA tournament before. There is some history there. It's always fun to play Big East teams. And there's Deshaun Miller of it all. Beating Sean Miller in his first year, ending Sean Miller's first season as the coach at Xavier while on the path to a national championship. Hard not to think that's pretty fun. Next up, Tennessee in a Sweet 16 rematch of the exhibition game would be very fun for these two teams to play each other again. You know that exhibition game would come up. People would talk about what happened in that one for Gonzaga to to then come in, shut the door on them. And Rick Barnes' season, really, really fun matchup there. Elite Eight, I picked Arizona. They may end up being more of a Final Four caliber opponent, but I wanted to pick them here. Of course, of course, the path to a national championship for the Zags should include Tommy Lloyd in some capacity. Uh, I want to see Tommy succeed. I want to see Arizona succeed. So I don't necessarily want to be the one that eliminates them, but I also don't want Tommy to succeed that much. Yeah, if Gonzaga and Arizona are playing each other, we're we're rooting for the Zags. And 
again, if Mark Few's path to the national championship includes Tommy Lloyd in some capacity, I think that'd be fun. Final four, I picked Arkansas here. Arkansas looks like a final four caliber team this year. They are really, really good. And a rematch of last year's hideously ugly Sweet 16 game uh, would be a really, really fun chance for, for the Zags. And then championship, zero surprises here. Uh, we're going with the Baylor Bears. Uh, rematch, 2021, uh, beat the Bears take down Scott Drew, win the first championship for the Zags uh, would be just an incredible, incredible run. I, to be clear, I don't care about a single opponent that Gonzaga plays if they win the championship. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if they play all under seeds. Doesn't matter if people think, oh, that was the easiest path in all history. I don't care. If the Zags win a championship, I'm going to be happy. But if I get the ability to pick some of the teams Gonzaga is going to beat on the way, this is what that list might look like for, for me. Next question comes from Jim on Facebook. Jim says, seems like the Zags are very good at getting opponents in foul trouble, or is that just my observation? Yeah, this has been a strength of theirs this season, and, and we say Zags, but Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy is really, really good at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. He's working on actually converting at the free throw line. Uh, we've seen some good and some bad from him. Uh, again, the Michigan State game, he looks terrible from the free throw line, but there's also video that make it look like some of his shots are just moving because they're playing outside. So eh, take that with a bit of a grain of salt there. Um, yeah, Kentucky fans kind of complained a lot uh, that the refs were imbalanced in that game, even though I think Gonzaga and Kentucky shot almost the exact same number of free throws. So eh, you take that with a grain of salt as well. But Drew Timmy's ability to spin, to pump fake, to use his body, to draw contact, get guys who are even trying as best as they can to stay straight up. He gets them to put contact on him and, and finishes through it, or at least gets a shot up so that he can get to the free throw line. It's a tremendous skill of his. It's a skill that Julian Strother is working on. It was something that was kind of a criticism of his after last season heading into this year of like, hey, he's a, he's a good two-level scorer. He's good at scoring around the rim. He's good at he's a good outside shooter, but can he get to the free throw line and convert there? We've seen him do much better about that. I think he was seven for seven from the free throw line in that Kentucky game when he dropped 20 points. So the Zags are working on improving some of those skills, getting more of their points from the free throw line. So I don't think that it's just a single person's observation. I do think that it is something Gonzaga is intentionally working on and, and, and very good at. Next question comes from Jeff via Gmail. Jeff says, with both Michigan State and Purdue entering the top 25 in the coaches poll, the Gonzaga's non-conference schedule is getting more difficult. If Gonzaga ends up playing Purdue and Duke in the PK-85, that will mean Gonzaga will play eight of the nation's top 25 teams during non-conference. Other than three or four Big 12 teams and maybe a couple other Power 6 teams, most teams will not end up playing that many top 25 teams in the entire season. What would a five or three or six and two record against those eight teams do for Gonzaga as a whole this year? It would better prepare them for March. That's the whole thing. That's the whole goal for Mark Few for putting together the schedule. He's doing it in part because he knows it's good for college basketball and he wants to uh, to be part of kind of college basketball story, having the Michigan State game, having the Tennessee exhibition game, uh, certainly being a part of things like PK-85 and the Baylor game in Sioux Falls. Like These are things that are important to college basketball. Mark Few knows that. He wants to kind of be somebody who's at the forefront of making innovative decisions for the sport, but also he wants his team to be as good as they possibly can in March. It does not matter how good they are in November. It really does not. And it doesn't make it any more fun to watch them get bell rung by Texas the way that they did. That was very not fun. And I promised you nobody had less fun than Mark Few did, but you'd rather do that now than in March. I, I, that's very obvious and kind of cliche to say, but like, that's what this coaching staff is doing. And so if they go five and three or six and two in this stretch, if they go six and two against top 25 teams in the non-conference, that is incredible. 
That's a really great stretch of games because this is not the best version of Gonzaga. Going 6-2 and two through that stretch when Nolan Hickman is still adjusting to his new role, when Malachi Smith and Efton Reed are still adjusting to being at Gonzaga, when Dominic Harris is not fully healthy. like To do all of that and still go 6-2 and two, and then have a, a period of time where you continue to develop and grow and get better, and yeah, you're, you're not playing as many competitive games, but you still got a couple against St. Mary's. You still got a couple uh, against you know BYU and San Francisco and, and decent quality opponents, not you know the top 25 teams, but good. To, St. Mary's is a top 25 team, but other than that, not necessarily top 25 teams, but you work and grow and get better, and you have those experiences. You know what Texas is going to bring. You know what Michigan State is going to bring. You know what Kentucky is going to bring, and Duke and Baylor and all these teams. And so for the Zags to be more prepared for those games coming into March, that's all that matters. And I think that this is the way to do it. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, should we just accept the fact that this is going to be a wild ride this season? Looking at a team like Colorado, who has victories over Tennessee and A&M and losses to Grambling and UMass, this early season has been unpredictable for many teams. How many teams have a shot at the title? I know it's early, but there could be a lot of turnover at the top of the polls. Yeah, I I don't think that this season is going to be a wild ride for the Zags. I think the Zags had one really bad game against Texas and then found ways to win games against really good teams. I think that's kind of all that has happened. The Texas game was hideous. Don't get me wrong. It was very ugly. But they played a a grinded-out victory over Michigan State, which is pretty much exactly what everybody would have expected to happen in that game because it was the aircraft carrier. They took away the transition, and it was just kind of an ugly, grinded-out game. Then they beat the doors off Kentucky. And Kentucky is maybe a bit overrated and, and perhaps had some some challenges with coaching and decision-making in that game. And I think that that's very true and, and I think deserves some criticism for the Wildcats. But I don't think that this is like a super wild ride season for the Zags. I think they had one bad game, won two good games against good opponents and are, are kind of going to continue to look good going forward. In terms of the overall season... Yeah, it's going to be a weird one. Colorado is, has a weird resume. If it's more goofy than anything else, they just recently lost to Boise State as well. Um, but I, I think there's like 15 or 20 teams at this point that could reasonably compete for a title. Uh, but every single season, I mean, most of all of last year, nobody would have thought North Carolina could compete for a title. Two, a couple of years ago, nobody thought UCLA would compete for a title, and they were at Jalen Suggs, 39-foot bank shot away from playing in the national championship game. So I don't know that you can make any of those uh, observations or guesses before Thanksgiving. And we're still before Thanksgiving. So to me, like 15 or 20 is almost too low. At this point, there might be 40 teams that could reasonably win a national championship. I don't think it's it's probably not that many. Uh, but, but honestly, like, who knows? It's going to be a weird season for sure. And the final question of the show, uh, Jeff from Gmail asked about the women's team. He was asking specifically about their victory over Louisville. Since then, the Zags have lost to Marquette and then defeated number 11 ranked Tennessee uh, in the Bahamas. So I wanted to kind of just talk about the team as a whole. We're going to talk a lot more about this team on Wednesday, by the way. So definitely check that that show out. Lots of good updates on the ladies' eggs. Uh, but yeah, this team beat Louisville and Tennessee. They went to the Bahamas and beat two teams ranked in the top 11. Uh, what an incredible run for them. It's unfortunate that they couldn't win that game against Marquette and potentially compete for a championship. But the opportunity to play Louisville and Tennessee, the opportunity to beat both of those teams, quite frankly, really incredible for them. Vani Ejim has looked fantastic. Brenna Maxwell, the transfer out of the University of Utah, dropped 20 points, uh, I believe, in the Louisville game off the bench. 21 points in 20 minutes off the bench for them. Eliza Hollingsworth has been incredible as well. The Trunk Twins, of course, excellent. They're deal- dealing with an injury right now for Kaylin. Uh, hopefully that's the kind of thing that doesn't linger too long because they really need her to be an impactful player for this team going forward. But We'll talk more about them on Wednesday, but this is a really good team. They should be ranked. They should continue to remain ranked for the rest of the season. And 
wins like those are, are going to put this team in a position where like, hey, they, they could make a legitimate deep run in March. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Don't forget to check out the new pod- podcast, Locked on College Basketball, where myself and Isaac Shade of Locked on Tar Heels break down the biggest stories in all of college basketball five times per week. Check it out on YouTube or wherever you get podcasts. Finally, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. For your second listen, check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. Available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. All right, folks, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.